everyone. Today we have Level 3 Core Coach Jay Fletch, and the topic is farming to increase your sales price. Um, just as a reminder, throughout the call, you'll have an opportunity to type in your questions. Um, it should show up towards the middle of your screen for Q&A. So just um, type in your questions, and we'll answer it throughout the call. You might see a chat box as well, but um, I would type your questions in the Q&A section. All right, Jay, take it away. Hey, guys. Jay Fletch, Core Coach. Just want to give you a, a little background on my core journey and then my farming journey, you know, before we kind of dive into this. So most of you are aware, if you heard my story before, when I joined the core, I was uh, almost a half a million dollars in IRS debt. And then taking the teachings from Rick and Rita and Kendra and my coaches, I was able to turn that around within three years of joining the core that I have no IRS debt tax at this point and save a bunch of money. A lot of that was possible between looking at how to increase sales price. And a lot of that came from just doing the techniques and the tactics. So before we dive into farming, I want to be real clear that farming is a, it's auxiliary to your business. It's not your, it's not your full focus. And we make our money, we make our money on the greatness tracker and we make our money with relationships. We make our money with break breads, face-to-face, 60 great phone calls, showing gratitude, sending out thank yous. That's the bread and butter of increasing your sales. That's the bread and butter of your lead generation and your prospecting. So I want to really emphasize that before we get started, because I think too often, well, we're realtors, and too often we get um, off the sidetrack where we go chasing a shiny penny. And in turn, we end up tripping over a dollar to pick up the shiny penny. So I don't want you to get loose focus on the greatness tracker. That's first and foremost. That happens. Because realistically, when you look at the lead conversion ratios that uh, the NAR puts out statistically, when it comes down to what turns into a lead from a referral to a lead, so referrals are three to two. Past sellers, four to one. Past buyers, nine to one. So guess where farming comes into? Farming is 2,000 to one. 2,000 cold, direct mail leads to one. So at the utmost, the most important thing going into this call is first and foremost, your greatness tracker comes first. Calling your past clients, taking care of your VIPs come first. Reaching out to business partners comes first. Direct mail farming is in addition to what you're already doing. So now that we got that cleared up, let me tell you a little about my story on what comes to farming. So uh, no, 18 years ago now, I was selling in a community in New Richmond, Wisconsin. And I happened to be one of the top three agents statistically every year. And average somewhere between 50 to 100 sales every year with an average sales price of 167. 167,000 was my average sales price. So when I started looking to grow my business, one of the first things I did is I looked at, well, how can I do the same amount of work and get paid more? And it came down to 
raising my sales price, raising my average sales price. So then I can do the same amount of transactions and I just get paid more on it. So I started looking at sales prices in geographic areas. So I went first 20 miles out and I went to a community called Hudson. And at that time, Hudson sales price was just over 200,000. So I go, well, I could raise my sales price by 40 or 50,000 just by going to Hudson 20 miles further out. Then I went across the river into Minnesota to a community called Woodbury. Now that happens to be about 35 miles from where my office was. And looking at that community, the average sales price was 336. So I made the decision there. It was a choice that I was going to pick up and start selling real estate 30 miles away versus where I was at. However, I didn't want to lose my bread and butter business. I didn't want to lose the contacts I've already put in there. So what I did is I planned to go to Woodbury three years out. So I decided at that point I was going to farm several neighborhoods in Woodbury for three years before I moved. So that's my, that's my initial experience with farming. And that was started about 15 years ago. I started farming communities in a marketplace where I eventually was planning to move to. And I picked up and I moved my office about three years later to that community with an average sales price much higher. But I wanted to have some traction. Now today, my business happens to be about 70% Minnesota. And the remaining 30, 35% kind of bounces back and forth, 5%, give or take, in Wisconsin. And I bounce between about a 10-mile radius from my office back into Wisconsin to kind of give anybody an idea. So with that being said, that's how my, that's how my exposure came into farming initially. And I'll kind of tell you my process on what neighborhoods I decided, how that went about, and where I went from there. So, what I want to cover today is a really cover four points. First point is mindset behind farming and what is farming and why do we do it? Second thing, choosing the right farm. Third thing, staying in contact with your farm, staying connected to the farm. And the fourth thing is tips and strategies to be successful inside your farm. And then from that, we'll recap and we'll go. At any point in time, if you have a question, Go ahead and cue the question up. It should be on your screen. So I think it's on the right of your screen. Cue the question up. And at some point, Katie will, Katie will, you know, cut me off or I will give her the cue to ask those questions. So we'll have at least three opportunities of five minutes to get some questions out there. So I'm going to dive right into the mindset behind farming. Because I think the mindset is the most important part before you even get into farming, before you even start to think about it. So first and foremost, the mindset. It's called farming for a reason. Okay, think about that for a second. It's called farming for a reason. So if you're not familiar with farming at all, I think it's one of the most noble professions out there. I think it's one of the hardest professions out there. I also think besides your clergyman, it's the profession that has the most faith. Because you got to think about what farmers do. They go out. And they plant the seed and they care for that seed for six months, eight months, hoping to have a harvest so they can harvest that seed and then be able to take care of their families. And if you look at it, it's like everything is 
pretty much working against them. So if they don't pick the fertile ground, the seed won't grow. So if the ground itself is rocky, the seed won't grow. If the ground is not fertile, it won't grow. If the ground is too shaded, it won't grow. If the ground is not shaded enough, it won't grow. So first and foremost, they've got to have the right soil. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into that soil to make sure that seed that they're about to plant is going to be able to produce a fruit, a harvest. And so that's the first and foremost. So that we're going to kind of talk about that when it comes to choosing the right farm. The next thing is they plant that seed, and let's assume that the ground is fine, the ground is fertile. They got the right farm. Then, next thing you know, they've got to compete with the birds. Birds come in there and peck at their seed and eat their seed and fly away. And if those birds get those seeds before they germinate, they never get a harvest. Then they got to worry about rain. Maybe it's too much rain. Like for the last 10 days, we've been getting too much rain here. It's somewhat ridiculous. But you get rain. Rain can flood out the seed, prevent it from growing. Rain can wash the seed away. So they get way too much rain, it won't grow. You don't get enough rain, it doesn't grow. Or the sun comes out. So you got enough rain, sun comes out, and now for the next 15 days, it's super hot, super dry, baking sun. And what did sprout burns up. And now the sun burns your crop. And I'm telling you, this, this farmer, this farmer's got to go and work their field every day. And, the, and then they got to do things like get irrigators to put water on there. They got to do things like get chemicals out there to get rid of things that crouch out because we haven't even talked about other things like the weeds. Weeds can get in there and choke your seed out. <coughs> seed dies. No crop. All of these things are going to happen, metaphorically speaking, when you go and farm a neighborhood in real estate. If you don't pick the right fertile ground, like if you don't figure out the number of homes, you don't figure out the turnover rate, the average sales price, what your potential income can be off that neighborhood, you might be farming a neighborhood that's not fertile. Or if you start planting seeds and you start farming a neighborhood that is fertile, but there's a very strong agent in that neighborhood already that owns that neighborhood. That's the birds. They come and peck your seed away. So yeah, the soil was great. But that strong agent took your took your seed. So I think you get the point. You get the point that this is not an easy task. And not only that, it's something that you have to be on top of and watch it, and you have to make sure that you're you're watering it, you're farming. So then when it's all said and done, the most important part about farming is two things: faith and consistency. And what I mean by faith is you have to have the faith that if you're consistent, a harvest will come. Anybody that asks me about farming, if they ask me how long it takes them before they're going to see a result, I tell them to go into any farm planning for at least 12 months. You're going to have to farm that for at least 12 months before you may even see any result. And a lot of times it's longer. So you have to have the faith and you have to trust the process that if you go out there and you farm, that it will eventually come, but it's not going to come right away. If it comes right away, you're lucky. It doesn't come right away. 
Leveromide farms, I didn't start seeing traction until 18 months afterwards. Realistically, when people start a farm, the national average, when someone starts a farm, here's the natural average, two mailings, and they quit. I mailed a total of 24 pieces in the first 18 months before I saw a farm, 24 times. Because I also believe in what's called in the medical industry a loading dose. And we'll talk about that when we talk about tips and suggestions. But where I'm going with this, the mindset is you have to stay consistent and you have to do it long term and you have to have the faith to trust the process that it's going to work. And then you have to examine the process and your plan to make sure you're in the right fertile ground. So that, that's the mindset behind farming. So we're going to go into, we're going to go into choosing the farm. And I'm going to dive right into that without questions. Um, because I think the questions are going to come up on choosing the farm, but that's the mindset. So choosing the farm. What's important when it comes to choosing your farm is looking at the region you want, the demographic you want, the result you want. So for me, when I was jumping to the area I was going to go, I determined the city I wanted to open up my office. Now, for many of you, you're not going to be moving your office. So you're going to be looking at a neighborhood that you have some interest in. You're going to look at a neighborhood they examine. So to me, you're going to spend an enormous amount of time MLS getting data to determine if you should even be in that farm. So here's some things I look at. I look at average income. Now, I think the fastest way to look up the average income in an area you're looking at farming is through EDDM. It's provided by the U.S. Postal Service. It's called EDDM, Every Door Direct Mail. When you go on that website, you can literally type in your zip code. It's going to break the routes down by residential routes. And you can click on that route, and that route will tell, tell you the average income of the people in that route. I think that's the fastest way to determine the income of the route. But I look at the average income of the route. And so that's the first thing. Next thing to look at, in my opinion, is the average sales price. I mean, that's the reason why we're doing, that's the reason why I did the farm was to increase my average sales price. Um, I also look at average age of homes. I also look at the employers, you know, best. So there's one neighborhood that I farm that is a very high demographic of the people that live in that neighborhood work at 3M. And 3M is a large employer. They take really good care of their people. They have good salaries. They also have relocation turnover and whatnot. So 3M happens to be in one of the neighborhoods that I farm. I also look at amenities. What amenities does that neighborhood or that geographical area or that zip code offers the people moving in? So a great example in um, one of the neighbors I farm, one out of four people are tied to the medical industry. And what I've learned is, on average, they spend 664000 on a home in one neighborhood. So one neighborhood spends $664,000 on a home. One out of four people in that neighborhood is tied to the medical industry. 
and it allows me to relate to them when I talk to them or when I get out and about. So that's important to know. Turnover rate's important to know. Average commission per sale. That's very important to know on determining the farm. Um, changes. Changes in that farm. So another farm that I do, and you'll see, you'll kind of see that I do different farms for different reasons. Another farm that I do, all the houses are 35 to 45 years old. All of them are mainly two stories. And the vast majority of that seller does not have main floor bedrooms. The vast majority of them have been in the house for at least 26 years. The vast majority of them are first time, the first time owners of that house. And they're, they're at the point now where they have to decide, do we do siding? Do we do a roof? Do we do a new furnace? Do we do new components? And even when we do all that stuff, we still don't have a main floor bedroom. So I farm that neighborhood to try to push a downsized, one-level, slab-on-grade neighborhood where I'm working for another client. So you can kind of tailor what you go when you work this over. So um, kind of diving into that, I want to talk a little bit about determining the income potential in choosing the right farm. So in choosing the right farm, you can talk about determine the income potential. So one way to look at it is, let's take two farms. And I'll give you the numbers. If you want to write them down, you'll kind of take a look at it. So we'll call one farm one and farm two. So if farm one has 300 homes, and in the last two years, 40 of those homes have sold, that gives me a turnover rate of 13.3%. And farm two, let's say, has 500 homes. And in the last two years, 20 of them have sold. That gives me a turnover rate of 4%. Okay? Now, take those two farms. If our farm one has an average sales price of 350000 and farm two has an average sales price of 750000 we can calculate the commission on those farms to be 10,500 in farm 1, 22,500 in farm 2. Now, the income potential in both those farms end up being one ends up being about 420,000 and one ends up being 450,000. Now, interesting enough, go back to the first number. Farm 1 is only 300 homes, farm 2 is 500 homes. So, you're doing 500 homes versus three for a, very, for a small income potential over it. So I want you to kind of look when you start doing this or you start to look at it. Other things to look at when determining your farm. Average days on market. Number of current listings. And then here's the kicker. This is one determining whether or not you have a strong bird sitting in your field about to pick your seeds. Go back the last two to three years and see if there's predominantly one or two agents that have dominated that market. Because that's pretty important to kind of take a look. Other things that I look for in, in farms. Turnover rate. You should pick a farm that has a turnover rate of at least 6%. So when, when we go back to farm one and farm three, uh, two that we were talking about, farm one had 13.3%. Farm two, had 4%. Farm 1 was 300 homes with an income potential of 420. Farm 2 was 500 homes with an income potential of 450. 
Farm two is more attractive to most of us. And the reason why it's more attractive to us is because the average sales price was 750000 in farm two. And the average sales price was only 350000 in farm one. But if you kind of see here, because of the turnover rate, the, the lesser sales price on that one happened to be a better income potential. Now, if you're targeting a neighborhood to get your sales price up, then what you want to do is make sure that turnover rate is factored into a sales price. So find a sales price above where you're at, but still has a turnover rate above 6%. Other things to keep in mind when you're picking your farm. I would select at least 500 to 25 homes, um, and I would take dramatic consideration of your budget. So 500 to 2,500 homes of your budget. Now, I'm currently at about 5,000. I didn't start there. I started at 100. And then I went to 250, and then I went to five, and then I went to 1,000, and then I went to 2,500, and then I went to 5,000. But I would start, I would start with probably about 250 and then expand from there and make sure you're tracking your ROI on it when you take a look. But don't plan for any results for at least 18 months and whatnot. So we're kind of going there. So that's that's kind of selecting the farms. Um, I'll tell you behind that, I like well-defined areas geographically. So I like personally using neighborhoods. It gets a little tougher to stay within a certain neighborhood if you do use EDDM. So I do postcards primarily as my farm. It's a matter of a postcard every month. Occasionally I'll send a letter, but it's a postcard every month with the difference of my loading, my, my pre-loading dose, which I'll talk about that in tips and strategies. That's how I do mine. Um, I do use EDDM. It runs me about 13 cents a postcard to mail. I think it's 13 cents now. Um, 13 cents a postcard to mail. I think at sometimes we get it as cheap as nine cents. We do outsource the design and the printing of our postcards to get them ready for EDDM. I'm telling you what not. And when I go into the next section about staying connected with your farm, I'll tell you a little bit about what we do. But so here's an example of one of our EDDM postcards. So you kind of take a look here. This is the size. They're glossy, their color, and then they got the EDDM requirements on them. And I'll kind of explain that when we get into staying connected with your farm. I'll tell you a little bit about what we send out, how we send it out, and why we send it out. So. I also like farms that I'm, I've got listings in. I like farms that I can do open houses on because anytime you are taking a listing in your farm, you're able to broadcast name recognition a lot easier. So some of my farms, people just naturally end up calling us to list their home because they don't know of any other agent and they've seen my name over and over and over and over again. So yesterday I was on a listing presentation in one of my farms and I asked them, I asked them, I said, Hey, let me show you some of examples of some postcards we do to market your house. And they go, Oh, we've been receiving your postcards for three years now. They're like, we know what you send out. It's one of the reasons why we called you. Now, interesting enough, Whenever we go into our farm and we take a listing, we send out 200 postcards 
Every time we take a listing, we send out a just listed postcard. We send out a offer accepted postcard. And then we send out a just sold postcard. So if we take a listing in one of our farms, let's say the farm's 500 homes, and we take a listing in that farm, those 200 people in a radius around the house is going to get a just listed, an offer accepted, and then a just sold. So 200 of those 500 homes are going to get three extra postcards that month with my contact information on it. So it's reinforcing your brand inside of that farm. It's reinforcing your credibility inside of that farm. That's why I like farms where we can do an open house. So we can do an open house on a farm. I like farms that have three, two to five entry points. And I'll, I'll explain why. Anything more than five, it's getting really hard to cover them. Two to three, perfect. Because when you do an open house in your farm, you put your open house signs out with your name on them. So if someone is inside your farm and they're not thinking about selling, they're not coming to your open house, they've already recognized your name because they've gotten your postcard for the last three years, right? But now they got to take Johnny to soccer. And so they get up at Saturday morning, they, they take Johnny to soccer, and they drive out the north entryway. And on the way out, they see three open houses with my name. Then they come back from soccer, they drop Johnny off, they see three open house signs with my name. Then they decide, well, man, you know, we got a dentist appointment. Well, your dentist does on the weekend, so mine probably doesn't either. So let's say they're going to the store on, on Saturday. Then they drive out the south entryway heading to the store, and they see four open house signs with my name on it. So, again, it's reconfirming my brand inside that farm. So when they do think about selling six months from now, a year from now, they would even be even stronger that that person is. So – that's kind of selecting the farm. I'm going to go into staying connected with the farm here in a second. With that, um, I want to give you guys the opportunity. Let's take three to five minutes for questions, and we'll kind of go further. So, uh, Katie, do we have any questions? Yes, we have a question from Erica. She wants to know, how did you discover the occupation of the homeowners? You mentioned about the medical industry. Oh, yeah. So um, there's a uh, – Usually, most communities have what's called an economic uh, economic uh, di uh, director. In our case, his name is Carl. Um, I'm pretty good friends with him. So Carl does all sorts of studies and pays for all sorts of things, so he can advise the community on businesses and economics. That's where I got that data from. I, I went and talked to the economic director of the community, um, and then he was able to determine that. Another way to do it, and, and, and this is going to sound crazy, but I've done it. So I wouldn't tell you to do anything I haven't done myself, or I wouldn't do again if I was in the position where I had to. And like I said, this is going to sound crazy, but you go knock on doors with a survey. And your door knocking is a survey. And it, I've done it, I've done it two ways. I've done it where I've knocked on the doors. I've done it where I've hired, um, like, my friend, my little brother, and and I kind of went through went through that and said, you know, here's a three-question survey. What do you love about your neighborhood? Knowing what you know now, would you buy in your neighborhood again? Are you thinking of selling in the near future? Um, where do you work or what industry are you in? Those are some good ways to get that information. 
However, uh, a lot of places, though, a lot of places, a lot of communities, the economic director can give you some really crazy data, like where most people work, whatnot. Like St. Croix County happens to be just across the river into Wisconsin. 67% of the households in St. Croix County have at least one person that works in Minnesota. So that's crazy in itself. So I hope that helps. I see there's another question, Katie. Yes, we have another question. What is the cost of your printing? Do you send a different postcard every time? And do you send the same postcard to different farms? Okay. So, yeah. So that, that, that leads me into my, my next section here, staying connected with your farm. So first and foremost, the cost of our printing, usually we are somewhere in the neighborhood of $90 uh, for, for $90 for say 100, 150 of them cards. And then we can get as high as $180 for 250, 300 cards. Your printing will go down as you go up. We use several different places to print. Um, we even use Vista print sometimes to get, you know, get the cards fast. But I, I use a local printing company called Helmer Printing that gets us down. But we buy in bulk a lot of times. Um, I can get like 3,500 cards, costs us about 600 bucks. So as you go, as you go up in quantity, you can go down. Now, what I do, to save on printing costs is I'll order more cards than I need for the mailing. And then I can use those for a different mailing later again. So this talks about what I send out. So I do send out different cards to different farms and I do send out the same cards to all the farms. It depends on what rotation I am. So the rotation I use is I use this. I do evidence success. I do brand awareness. I do market update, and then I tend to do uh, just like a market, um, what's going on in the market that combines with evidence success. So I'll kind of show you some examples. So here's an example. I try to tailor my cards of, can it, can, it, can it talk about what we do for the service? Is it important to the seller? So here's one example. So this one here is an information, I call this an informational card. So it says the importance of staging. Stage home sell faster and for more money. According to the National Association, stage home sell 11% more money, 80% faster. So this is just a statistic. And then I give them some examples. So I, this is just goes out. This is a statistic that I tell everybody. So again, this is that way. So if they're thinking of selling, now they got a statistic about staging and they know we stage. So we say we offer complimentary staging on every home sell. So that's one example. This one it talks about us as well. So this says average agent, here's their list to sell ratio. Here's our list to sell ratio. Average agent, here's their days on market. Here's our days on market. So a lot of these people in these farms, they know my name. Now I wanna tell them what I do for results. There's an example there. Um, this one here, I like putting together homes that have sold in their neighborhood or in that farm. And these ones here, we particularly, we sold ourselves, so it's an evidence success card. So I send that one out. I also like to send out cards, and I don't have an example in front of me right now, because we just kind of grabbed these. I also like to send out cards that talk about their neighborhood. Like if a 
new pavilions being built in their neighborhood. We'll send a picture out of the drawing plans for it. If there's a park, we'll send that out. A really good way to break into a new neighborhood, and this is this falls under the tips and suggestions, is to take a picture of the monument sign of that neighborhood and tie yourself to the monument sign. Something they would recognize, oh, that's my neighborhood. So, for instance, I'll give you an example of a neighborhood in ours. Marsh Creek is a neighborhood. Marsh Creek has a very recognizable dominant entry sign. It's, it's, it's huge. It's got a fountain in it. It's got some like whooping cranes in it and some metal cattails and it's all fancy. So we take a picture of that entry sign in different seasons, winter, summer, fall. So now when I'm sending out a card just to Marsh Creek, I like to use that sign as kind of the main picture on the card versus even my own picture. Because what happens is the shelf life of one of these cards is eight seconds. It's literally like this. They pull it out of the mail, one, two, three, four, five, six, gone. They throw it. That's it. It's eight seconds. Basically from the mailbox to the garbage. So with that being said, with that being said, you gotta have a couple things on your card. So to answer your question, um, I got you the price question. I like to send out informational cards. I like to send out Evan's success. I like to talk about if there's a home in their neighborhood. I certainly like to highlight a home in their neighborhood. Um, I also like to give them a market update. And I don't have one of those calls cards, but a market update card looks like this. Number of listings that sold in their home in the last 60 days. Average sales price for their neighborhood. Average days on market for their neighborhood. Um, and that that's I, I just put on their MLS statistics based on your neighborhood. The other thing I like to do is I like to list all the homes that have sold and the prices they sold at, even though they weren't our sales. But you got it. You got me for legal purposes. You got to put at the bottom data pulled from the MLS. Um, these may or may not have been our sales, so they know. But that's a really good card. I think Bill Puma has. He does one statistically that like same thing. He shows all the sales. That's a really good card. Um, I even sent out a Valentine's card. Uh, I usually do that one. And it basically says, hey, if you've had an agent in the past and you didn't love your agent, now it's time to fall in love with a new agent. And I send out a Valentine's card. That one got us pretty good. I also sent out a, a, uh, a uh, St. Patrick's Day card, a picture of me on the card, leprechaun, big four-leaf clover. And it said, uh, it said, I'm um, hiring a, selling your house. It's something about, something about selling your house isn't easy. Um, if you want to get lucky or something like that, hire me, you know, selling your house. You don't need luck in selling your house. Hire me, something like that. We do a lot of offer, uh, accepted offer cards in their neighborhood. We do a lot of just listed cards in their neighborhood. We do a lot of just sold cards in the neighborhood. Um, I like, updates you know what's going on in the community can you talk about that so there's a lot of things you can send them there really is a lot of things you can send them when you talk about that i think i answered the question katie was there a second part to that question i missed um i think you got everything because the second part was do you send a different postcard every time and do you send the same postcard to different farms okay cool so yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day here's what you send out sold cards proof of success 
evident success, market updates, free home equity updates, um, neighborhood trends, neighborhood news, neighborhood scoops, discount coupons for various vendors. I don't have one of those in front of me, but let's say there's a, let's say you got a Nadia's cupcake. I don't know if you guys heard Nadia's cupcake on the, on the Food Network show or maybe it was on Shark Tank, but Nadia's cupcake is in our marketplace. So we have a deal with Nadia's cupcake. If someone brings in their card, it's buy one, get one free. Nadia doesn't charge us that. They they'd say, hey, if you because we're marketing their business, and most small businesses, if you go into them and say, hey, I'm going to do a postcard, and I'm going to say buy one ice cream, get one ice cream free, would you honor that if people bring in the card? I need your logo. I need permission to send it, and then I'm going to send it out. Most small businesses will say all day long, all day long, all day long. So that's a good one there. I see another question popped up. You want to grab that one, Kate? Yeah, we actually have a, a couple questions. We had a chat come in um, from Dave, and he said, what is your budget compared to your income for marketing? My my marketing budget to my income? I believe so, yeah. Uh, is this – is this this must be Dave Bowen. Was, you guys don't know Dave Bowen. Great guy. Orlando Market, one of my favorite students. I had him last semester, semester before. Um, so my, so here's what I can tell you. I'm running at about 45% profit on all expenses compared to my income on my business. My marketing itself takes up about 25% of that 45%. Um, and then it depends on what you classify in that marketing. And then the remaining part of that is mostly employees expense. I can tell you, uh, when you start to, Factor out. We start to factor out the the R the ROI when it comes to farming. I like to see, you know, I I like to hit houses at least once a month, and I like it to be I like my entire marketing for the year to be able to be paid for by one house in that farm that lists. And so that's kind of the the rule of thumb that I use. And so hopefully that covers that question. Is there another one, Katie? Um, yes, we have one more. Um, where do you get the economic info from? The so the economic income are basically about you know how much their the average income for the neighborhood. I get that from EDDM. So if you go if you and there's a lot of websites. If you just type in EDDM, you might get onto a bad website. So it's actually the United States Postal Service. E every door direct mail. And then you'll see their website. They own the website. It's the postal service. When you go on there, that will break down, that will break down like nine different economic data for their routes. Now just know this, sometimes if you're looking at a 200 home neighborhood, that route might be 600 homes and your neighborhood might be in that route. But I tend to look at routes that have an average income of at least 105,000 or more. Um, that's that's the routes that I've been farming in because I want to get my average sales price up. And remember, farming is a long-term commitment, and its consistency and connecting people in the farm is key. Homeowners need to know that you're a staple there. It really helps, and I'll just kind of dive into tips and suggestions because we're already past the 40 mark mark. It really, really helps if, if uh, you live in the farm. It helps if you door knock in the farm. 
It helps if you throw events in your farm. So going back to that question about what to sell, uh, what to send them, you know, here's one thing we did in a farm that we have. We did a food truck. So we sponsored a food truck. We picked a cul-de-sac in that farm, and then we invited everybody in that neighborhood to come have some food, and we did a barbecue truck. We said, hey, come have some barbecue on Jay. Meet your neighbors. Talk to your neighbors. Have some fun. And so we sponsored the food truck. We set up some tables. We set up some tents. We had some bean bag cornhole, depending on where you are in the country, what you call it. We had those set up, and we just literally talked to people as they come up. And a lot of people are like, yeah, we've seen your postcards. Yeah, we've seen your sign. Um, what's, you know, what's the market doing? So some of that, some of that is going to really hit your ROI, especially if you're doing it early in the, in the process. I wouldn't be doing a food truck unless I've been farming that neighborhood consistently for at least 24 to 36 months. But other things you can do, you can do neighborhood garage sales. You can say, you can plan your own neighborhood garage sale. And what I mean by that is you can send out a letter and say, hey, we're going to do a neighborhood garage sale. I'm going to advertise the neighborhood. Send me all your garage sales, and, and I'll put it on a postcard and send it out to the entire neighborhood. And you can also send that out to your database, too. You can do home improvement seminars. You can sponsor an athletic team that's in that neighborhood. You can do a spring cleaning event. You can do a charity drive. You can do an Easter egg hunt. You can do pictures with Santa. You can do a pumpkin hunt. Um, you can do a shredded Earth Day. You know, we're talking about doing one right now because we got a lot of files that need to be shredded. We're going to hire a shredded company to come out and shred documents. Everybody can bring in that neighborhood. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do for the neighborhood to add value, tie your name to it, and then basically market it back to them. And so what happens is if you're staying consistent and you're delivering value, what will happen is you will be the go-to guy for that neighborhood. That's why it's really nice if you do live in the neighborhood. Other things we have done to increase our result of farming, we've created a Facebook page for a neighborhood. In fact, I think if you go on my Facebook page, I think I have 10 pages of neighborhoods where we farm at. And, and we, we're the moderator. We let people post babysitting jobs on there. We let people sell stuff on there. It's a way for the community to talk about it. Um, in fact, we got one right now. It's buzzing. Some some company came in and dumped off a bunch of scrap siding material at the back of a cul-de-sac on this rural neighborhood that we farm to, and everybody's buzzing on the on the Facebook channel about who it was. Did they get pictures of it? What can be done? Um, so we 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 send things out like that. And, and part of the thing is just coming up with creative ways to get your farm engaged with you. Because now, now you can take, again, going back, the conversion ratios, it's 2,000 to 1 for cold direct mail. Okay? So if you just farm it and you do nothing but send postcards, national average, 2,000 to 1. Okay? What I'm telling you to do is farm with an intent to grow a relationship or to become the neighborhood, quote-unquote, celebrity, right? So you farm an area where it's like going, okay, I'm going to farm this area. I'm committed to this area. I'm going to invest in this, and I know I won't see anything for 18 to 24 months, but I know when I do, it, it's going to be a flood. And so that's what – those are ones where you can start to do some of these other things.
to multiply the success that you're going to have with the farm. So those are ways to dominate an area, especially if you know the inventory. I would be, if you're farming an area, every time a listing comes on that, that in, in your farm, I would go tour it and leave your business card. It's another way for those people to go, man, why don't we hire that guy? He's been sending us stuff for four years, and now he came and looked at our house. Because think of it this way. How many of your sellers have seen you actually sell their property? So eventually what happens is if they're sitting there and they're not getting any showings, they're second-guessing the agent they hired. If you happen to go through it during a preview and leave a card, they might be hiring someone new. And then that way you get the husband and wife going, see, I told you we should have called him first. So that happens. It happens more than you think. Katie, do we have another question before I kind of, we start to wind down? We, we don't have any more questions. Well, I'll tell you a little bit more kind of what we do. Um, distributing door hangers. You can do that. So these are all things to make your farm, make that farm produce a higher harvest. Going back to, going back to why we call it farming is because at the end of the day, you're looking for a yield. So if you ever talk to any farmers, and, and actually it's one of the funnest things to do, is sit down and talk to them at breakfast at 5.30 in the morning at their favorite coffee shop. So you always sit there. Um, you talk to farmers, the conversation always tends to go to yield and harvest. You know, what, what, uh, how much crop is that acre yielding? And you'll be, you'll be surprised. Some farmers will be like, well, my, I'm getting 80 bushel of corn per acre. Some are like, I'm getting 160 bushel of corn per acre. Some are like, well, I'm going to have the government step in and take crop insurance because that hailstorm just trashed my whole entire soybean. So when you start looking at that and you have those conversations, it relates really well to what we're doing. If you just farm a neighborhood with direct mail, the numbers say 2,000 to 1. So if you go 2,000 and you don't get one, you go another 2,000, you'll probably get two. You just got to trust the process, have faith, know it's going to work. Now, Everything else I'm telling you and all these things that we've talked about and the tips and the suggestions to be successful, that's to allow you to get that ratio in your favor. That's where you can yield a higher crop when harvest time comes. So if you do do the neighborhood garage sales, you do do the barbecue event, you do send them information about their neighborhood or you send them information about their, you know, a new building being done or road work being done something of value, you send them you send them a coupon. I mean, I've done I've done local car wash. You know, a local car wash say, hey, you buy one car wash, get one free, you know, things like that. You send them something of value, now instead of two thousand to one, you might be able to get that down to sixteen hundred to one or five hundred to one. And and then your star really starts producing. And like anything else, Success begets success. So you start getting listings in your farm, and those listings will start turning into more listings. And then it turns out to be where what we try to do is for every sign we put in the farm, we pretty much expect that that sign will produce two units of business for us in the near future. So that's, you know, that's kind of our numbers that we work with when we talk about farming and we go from that. So 
want to kind of talk to a couple things uh, again on the farming and it comes to postcards and staying connected with the farm. Going back to the mindset and it is a long-term commitment. And that's, that's still the toughest part about all this that people fail. It's a long-term commitment. And it's something like, it's a lot like trust. It's a lot like trust. It could take you 20 years to build it up and you can lose it in a matter of seconds. So if you talk to anybody on my team, we're constantly, I'm constantly making sure, hey, did our farm go out? Where did it go out? Are we hitting the route or the same routes? Because the minute you stop, the minute you stop pouring into your crop, your crop will stop producing a harvest. So talking a little bit about loading. I'm a big fan of when you select a neighborhood and you select a market, I'm a big fan of doing what's called a load dose, loading dose in the medical industry. A loading dose is where if they're prescribing you to take something one pill a day, or in our case, one touch a month, the loading dose will be like, well, I need you to take four on Monday, four on Tuesday, four on Wednesday, then you can do one every day after that. So. A loading dose in a farm looks like this. You do a postcard or a letter every week for the first eight weeks. So now you're getting one every week for the first eight weeks. And then from there, you can back down to two for the next four weeks and do that twice. And then after that, back down to one a month. And then from there on, do one a month. If you do a loading dose, if you do a loading dose first on your farm, it'll allow you to reduce some of the long-term effect you got because you're gonna get an instant, you're gonna get instant recognition really quickly. Um, the other thing I can tell you is every great plan, be ready to change it. Uh, if you start to find out that there's a strong listing agent in the neighborhood, you should pull out. If you find out there is another person farming that, you should really look at whether or not you want to stay in that farm. If there's another agent farming it and they've been doing it for a long period of time, the only way to dethrone somebody that's been farming the market for a long period of time or it's in there is you have to outspend them. And that's not what we're about. We're not about outspending somebody in a farm. It doesn't make sense. It's not good for your budget. It's too high in expenses. We're about getting the mass amount of exposure for the lowest price on your dollar. That's why, again, that's why farming is in addition to all of the other things you're doing on your greatness tracker. If you're not doing a full greatness tracker first, you shouldn't, I don't even know if you should be even considering farming. Spend your extra time filling your greatness tracker up and then start working from there. Uh, so we have a few minutes left. Uh, not sure if there's any additional questions, Katie. If not, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the summit coming up. We don't have any additional questions right now. So, so here's the thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of let everybody know with the summit. So we got the summit coming up here. Um, I'm telling you here, at the end of the day, the, the core, Rick Ruby, Kendra Cook, you know, all of my coaches have dramatically changed my life. Um, I can't imagine where I would be financially where my business would be without what the core did. 
and here's what I can tell you. I trust, I trust Rick Ruby. I trust the core. I trust the process. I do what I'm told. If you can, if you can trust them, you trust me, you should be at the summit. Plain and simple. If you don't go to the summit or you don't have somebody that, uh, you don't, can't bring somebody in, then I'm telling you, you're going to stay in the same place you are right now. Uh, if you've read the book Go Giver, we're obligated to give back and we're obligated in life. I think when much has been given to us, we're obligated to help the next person up. I'm overwhelmed and with gratitude to the person that introduced me to the core and you have the opportunity to be that for somebody else. You have that opportunity to introduce someone to the core where they can be sitting here four years later, five years later, and dramatically having their life change. And so with that, I just want to keep in mind, if you know of anybody thinking about the summit and you want to change anybody, now is the time to let them contact out and the team could take care of you. Uh, you're going to love farming. I love it. I get a lot of interest in it. Uh, I really like it. The fact, like I said, when it comes down to farming, I think it's the most noble profession in the in the world. I think they have a ton of faith, ton of consistency, and I certainly hope these techniques and strategies will help you as much as they've helped me. At any point in time, reach out to your concierge, and you can set up an extra call with me and talk about farming. It's something I'm passionate about. I love talking about it. I can talk about it all day long. So uh, with that, I think we're a few minutes early, um, but... Unless there's any questions. Oh, looks like we got a question. Yay. Katie, we got a question. Uh, we have a comment. Um, Erica said, please tell Jay we really appreciate his time. Well, thank you, Erica. <laughs> and like I said, I, you guys, I, I can speak for myself, and I think I can speak for any coach in the Corps and pretty much any staff in the Corps. We're truly here for you. I mean, we want all you guys to be successful. We want you to grow. We want you to make a bunch of money. We want you to change lives, and we want you to bid out in your community. So if if you need additional tips and suggestions on this or questions, by all means, reach out to the core. Reach out to your concierge. We're here to help. So, I mean, it, we care deeply about every one of the Level 3 students, and I didn't realize how much we care about the Level 3 students until I became a coach. You're constantly on every one of the coaches' minds on a regular basis. May not seem that way, but it is true. So we love you for it. Katie? You good? Yes, yeah, so we don't have any more additional questions. Um, actually, we do have one. <laughs> um, can you give a brief summary about your team, number of members, and staff? Sure. So currently my team looks like right now it's uh there's six of us and so there's six of us right now and we have four RP1s or so four staff and we have two salespeople um including myself and so that's what the team looks like our numbers are will be right around 55 to 60 million um that's where I'm actually that's right about where we're at right now. So we'll probably finish up the year closer to 65, uh, 225 to 260 transactions since joining the core. And then, uh, to give you an idea, my, my farming part about that is ran with our marketing. So our marketing person does take care of our social media. They also run our farm. 
Um, marketing person also takes care of our events. They take care of our events, our social media, running our farm um, database. My executive assistant takes care of my gifting and my schedule. So that that's kind of how our team works out, and we're pretty close-knit, uh, which is always nice. Answer. Yeah, that helps. Um, also, um, another question. Um, back to marketing. Um, when when do you send out like, or how often do you send out a letter of the heart, and how often um, do you send out like an EOS? You just kind of rotate. Uh, letter of the heart goes out the first week of the month, every month, and EOS goes out the third week of the month, every month. We send our EOS out to our entire database, and it's typically a postcard. Our letter of the heart does go out to my entire database. I know um, several people send them out in, in to their VIPs and their top 50. I send my letter of the heart out to my entire database, and it, it typically goes out, like I said, the first of the month, every month. I do do two letter of the hearts that are pretty much the same every year. Around the same time, my July 4th letter of the heart is pretty much the same every year because it's, you know, means a lot to me about what our forefathers gave up with independence. Um, so that one goes out. And then I always do a letter of the heart that's pretty much the same every year around Thanksgiving. Um, just recognizing gratitude and giving thanks and how blessed, uh, how blessed I am and how fortunate and how much I feel obligated to give back. But those, those two, Here's what, I, here's what I've, I've told my students, and letter of the heart, letter of the heart is, it's mandatory, not optional. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. I don't know how many days you will go without brushing your teeth in the morning or at the evening. Now, you might be out in the wilderness on a weekend trip and not have your toothbrush or your toothpaste. It might go a few days. That's basically me saying letter of the heart's mandatory. You might miss one month, but you shouldn't miss more than one month. It's it's that important. It is that important, and it should be it should be it should share pain. It should be real. It should be short. Um, so it should share pain or teach a lesson. Be real. Be short. Get it out there. I like sending a letter out. I know there's several people that do a video of the heart now. I like sending a letter out. Um, I think there's value in it. So that's my thoughts. Thanks, Jay. Um, that's all the questions that we have. Cool. So we got an extra 51 seconds to go make a few phone calls. So, again, <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to have the opportunity to talk to you guys today. So thank you.